Good morning, Dr. Matthew Dunn here, host of the Future of Email. My guest today, I'm very excited to speak with, Jacob Wenger, co-founder, head of product at Shortwave. Jacob, welcome. Hey, Matthew, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here and looking forward to our discussion. Oh, man. And Shortwave, I'll let you introduce it because I'm so excited I probably won't get it right. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So Shortwave is an AI email app uh, designed for stress-free productivity. Uh, you sign in with your Gmail or Google Workspace account, and we give you a brand new interface for managing your email. Our apps are designed based on an opinionated approach that we call the Shortwave method. And it kind of have, has two parts. The first is a like flexible triage system uh, that allows you to treat your inbox like the to-do list that it really is. You can pin items, you can snooze them, uh, you can rearrange them using drag and drop and combine them. Uh, and gives you a lot of flexibility to do that. Yeah. The second part is a uh, highly customizable and composable set of rules that allow you to customize your workflow. So you can do things like block senders. You can group together related emails into bundles. You can schedule the delivery of threads for specific times. And the end result here is you get a, an email app that allows you to get through your inbox quicker and with less stress. And then we've layered on a bunch of the latest AI tech uh, to really bring things to the next level. The coolest is probably the, a summarized feature that allows you to capture the key yeah. points from yeah. a set of threads. So there's a lot more to it, but that hopefully gives a kind of overview of the kind of things that we do. So, and, and I have to hand you the call, but right out of the gate, um, I've been using Shortwave for, I think, a month now, and it, 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 it's jaw-dropping, like, like. Wow. And I've used a lot of email clients. Um, so <laughs> the fact that I keep coming back to shortwave, like, that's really something. Like, one of the things I, I love is I jump into the inbox from hell in the morning and there's all the promotion stuff clustered together. And I could basically go, pow, shut up, get go away. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. It's a huge right. time saver right there. Yeah. The, the bundling feature and being able to group related emails yeah. and then just like mark them all done in one click is, is, is great. And it also just makes your inbox look a lot smaller than it actually is. Right. Right. But without, without losing stuff, I've tried some other email clients that maybe were opinionated in, in different ways and, and had their strengths to be really fair. Um, but when I end up feeling up fighting, fighting the client, or I'm fearful that it's hiding something that I really do need. Yes. Then, then it's like, I'm sorry, this relationship isn't going to work out here. <laughs> One of the things I have to ask you right out of the gate, uh, you, you and your team, not a huge team, what yep. is like a huge team from the product. You yep, guys have been working at this for a number of years. And here comes the meteor called Chad GPT, putting AI at front and center of every discussion from coffee to cocktail party. Uh, good <laughs> thing, bad thing for you guys. I, I think it honestly is, is a great thing for us. I yeah. think we, we are actually really well positioned to take advantage of, of this moment. So I yeah. think uh, chat GPT and the, the, the generally the, the wave in AI that mm -hmm. is based on all this text, I think is email is a perfect fit for it because your email archive has probably the largest set of writing and knowledge base of any app that you use. And so as an email client, we are able to use all of this data and surface it in really interesting ways now using this new technology. And anyone who is, who is going to start an email app who says, oh, wow, this is the right technology. I'm going to start building an email app today. 
what they're going to find is it's going to take several years to get to the point where we are. And this was something we learned the hard way, um, even though we knew looking at other competitors who had tried this before, it took them three, four, five years to get to market. Uh, there is just a such a wide surface area for email applications and the bar is so high uh, that uh, it just takes a long time to actually build the fundamentals. And we feel like we have a really solid foundation and now can layer on the new AI stuff and really take things to the next level. So un 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 unpack some of the pieces of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised by what you said, but I play in, in somewhat the same sandbox and have some, some years in email. I know what a complicated uh, sucker it is. Why is it so, why is it so hard? Why so many years just to get to start? Yeah, I, I, I think there are, uh, email is one of those apps where lots of lots of applications, email clients like Gmail, as an example, uh, take the approach of we're going to give you a bunch of features and then you can build your own workflow on top of that. And you see this in the way that the app is designed. You know, yeah. they have six different versions of the inbox and they have a ton of different label features and combining those in different ways. Everyone ends up with their own ad hoc system that they develop themselves. And so if you want to get people to move to your application, you can't just support 20% of the features and assume that 80% of users can come and use your app. You have to build this like crazy patchwork of features so that you can support everyone's custom workflow. And we are trying to build an actual workflow. And, you know, we, I mentioned the shortwave method, try and have an opinionated way to get through your inbox that we yeah. think is best. And as opposed to just building a bunch of features, but we still need all of the features that you have in these other emails. Right, right, right. So you've got to build sort of, you got to build two, two products, so to speak, or two architectures, and then, and then get them to merge in a usable, you know, usable, comprehensible set, yes, exactly. set of controls. Uh, there's one other piece of this, which is uh, email is a, is a very old protocol. And there are a lot of dragons hidden in just like taking an email and displaying it well. Yes. Uh, and it took a, a lot of effort from us. And in the early days, I would go to like open up my inbox and I'd get through two emails and I'd see an email that was just busted, an HTML email that maybe displayed poorly, log a bug, and then get back to my inbox. Two emails later, another thing that screwed up, someone's signature isn't showing up. And just getting to a point where you can reliably see emails in a way that displays them as nicely as Gmail, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Okay. Well, you 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 stole my thunder. I was gonna I was gonna say grafting on top of such a relatively old and kind of patchwork architecture, right? Yes. I mean, that, sure. th there are key protocols involved in email that are well over twenty years old. Yes. You had to work with them. Yes, for sure. And There's I think we're around them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's no way around them. And I think the the backwards compatibility and being able to work for any email, any email service out there is like a critical aspect of, you know, the federated nature of email and is is really important towards like our long term mission to uh, be able to create like a common communication platform that is decentralized and secure and not owned by any central organization. Oh, bless you. I love that. I love to hear that. Uh, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go back in time in embarrassingly long ways to tee up part of this conversation on worked on email stuff. Actually, we, we share a company in common Microsoft. Oh, okay. Um, in my case, it was the nineties, early, early days, like land email, pre-internet. 
and was involved at a few different points in companies changing email systems and the emotional attachment that people have to their email, even back then was unbelievable. Like the level of upset when you change someone's inbox experience or what it looks like when they're starting, you're like, dang, this is just like, this is counseling, not technology. It's, yeah. it's surprisingly personal. For, for sure. You had to work with it, right? Yes, definitely. I, I, I notice this talking to users every day. Uh, and it is, I, I think it, it makes sense to me in the sense that there are people who spend hours and hours of their day, both in their work life and in their personal life on email. Yeah. And it's not surprising to me that people have such a strong attachment to this app that they use and is so critical to communicating with people and getting their work done. Yeah. Well, you, you look at, you look at, um, look at the rise of mobile on, um, and I would argue the first killer smartphone was probably the Blackberry much as I like, you know, like the iPhone sitting on my desk here now, but what was the killer app for the Blackberry? No question. Email. Right. Like, it was like, Oh, they got her enough to lug this big, heavy laptop around and, and dial up in the hotel room. You I mean, I can get my email in my pocket. Like it was, it was. That was transformative, and I'm sure one of the top X number most frequently opened apps on smartphones now still has to be email with with sure. texts and as an interesting vector on that. Yeah, it it is it is one of the things that's as you said, everyone makes their own and ends up making their own UI architecture in Gmail. Why? It's like it's mine. It's my you know my email. That possessive word comes up all the time. And all the decisions about what you keep or don't, what you, you know, what you folder here or don't, it's all on you, right? It's all personal. So it is bold of you guys to have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like you, you need to have an opinion because you need to stand out. It is, uh, it is a very crowded space and lots of, lots of startups have come and gone before us, uh, with varying levels of success. And, uh, if you don't have an opinion, then no one's probably going to care. Well, you're you're right. Delve into that for a second, because there are the the road is kind of littered with the carcasses of email clients, isn't it? Yep, that is that is very true. Why? Why why go after why go after email? No, one. I mean, one. Why why is it such a hard space? And then two, are you crazy? Why you go after email? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'll. I'll, I'll answer them in maybe the, the opposite order. So, so why email is, uh, we, we started the company actually with, with the mission that I, that I mentioned earlier around creating this common communication platform that's decentralized and secure. Uh, and we've, we've been concerned about the, uh, like the centralization of our communications, whether that is in the work life, things like Slack or Microsoft Teams or on our personal life, things like iMessage or Snapchat um, or even TikTok. Uh, and all of these are owned by either large corporations or in the case of something like WeChat, a government. Uh, and we think that this is generally bad for society and that if we continue to have all of our private communication in these centralized services, that at some point we are really going to regret this. Uh, and so we kind of surveyed the landscape and said, if we wanted to build a replacement for all of these, what technology should we use? And the thing that kept coming up was email. Uh, and email is already this large decentralized federated communication platform. That's not owned by any one company. Uh, 
the problem is, is just the user experience is not very good. And there's a reasons why people are using these messaging apps. It's because their user experience is just so much nicer. They have effing indicators and emoji reactions and real-time messaging. And so we thought it is easier for us to take email and move it towards being a really good messenger than it is for us to bootstrap an entire new network that is as big as email. And so that's how we kind of ended up going after email. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And then as far as why it is a, a hard space, uh, I think it's, it's always a hard space when you are competing against some of the biggest companies in the world, you know, that's Google cool. and Apple both have really high quality email applications. Like they are, they are not perfect for everyone, but for the average person, they do a pretty good job and they are fast and reliable. Uh, and so the bar here is quite high. And then the other piece here, as I mentioned earlier, is just a large surface area and it takes a large, strong technical team a long time just to get to the foundational layer. And yeah, that, that, that would certainly make sense. I mean, you already, you already touched on some of, I mean, almost trivial, but not trivial front end problems. Like, oh, this email is broken. It doesn't render. You got to fix that if, if someone's going to keep using the client because they'll, they'll throw you out in a heartbeat. And you're also, I mean, you touched on it, but you're, you're competing with big companies, giving it away. Not a trivial yep. list. Not a trivial Go back to, I love what, I love everything you just said about, about the why of starting this. Cause I've said much the same things myself about why I, I really dig the email space. Like no one owns it. That's mm -hmm. a big deal. It's better for all of us that no one on, that no one owns it, but. You, you had to make a judgment call against that goal and pick an inbox to start with. And you picked Gmail. Yes. It had to have been some long discussions. It, it, it definitely did. And this was a, a decision we made very early on at the company. Uh, yeah. one, one option we thought about was being our, our own provider and going the route of something like, Hey, uh, and yeah. this has this has its benefits. It does have allows us to kind of more control the privacy and security. Yeah. Uh, we're not relying on another company to provide some of our service. Um, but it also has a downside, which is it's really hard for people to get switched email clients. It's even harder for them to switch email accounts. Yes, completely start from scratch and with a brand new account and not be able to bring their existing emails is something that we thought would just make it too hard to kind of get the company bootstrapped. And uh, so we decided to, to build off of Gmail. Uh, Long-term, we want to support a lot of other providers and oh, really? still be yeah. our own provider, allow you to self-host it like you can something like Microsoft Exchange. Mm -hmm. But those are kind of years out still for us. Yeah. Well, let's, let's delve into the Gmail thing a bit. And one of these days, I'll get someone from a Gmail team on here because I've been kicking them in the shin so hard that maybe they'll attention. <laughs> like I have a couple different G Suite accounts. I use that client as well. It's not that I'm not a fan on a bunch of levels, but something like 60 plus percent of inboxes are with one company and it bugs the bugs the bejeepers out of me to see that for the reasons you already cited. It's like, wait a minute, hang on a second. Too much centralization is bothersome to see. And yes, totally agree. Yeah. And, and to Gmail's, to Google's, um, I don't know if it's to their credit or there's a longer game I'm not seeing, which is probably the case as well. But 
touch on email in the, what, 15 years or so that Gmail has been around lighter than everyone expected at first. Like there were concerns about, you know, blue links at the top of your email that you didn't ask for. It hasn't happened, right? Uh, unwanted ads showing up inside the message body hasn't happened. Um, they played a pretty straight up game as far as standard support uh, with AMP for email, longer discussion. Some people say they're extending the standard. Some people say it's a bad idea, me among them. Uh, but they, they've like, they're playing in the, in the email pool. They haven't sort of taken the ball away despite having 66% of the field and said it's our game now. But they do keep gaining market share of inboxes. And I keep watching that going because I worked at a monopolist. You did too. Mm-hmm. Uh, back when it really was a monopoly. And I don't like monopolies, even though I got, you know, got to benefit from being part of one. Dang it. I think competition's a healthier thing. And where, like, where do you see it going? Where do you see the inbox control going? Yeah. So let me, let me actually start a little, a, a little further back. So I think the, the reason Gmail was, was so innovative when they came out is the fact that they they actually offered a bunch of really cool features with their initial version back in, I don't know, 2004 when they yeah, initially yeah. came out. You know, they gave you a larger archive so you could store a lot more. Yep. They gave you the ability to like thread messages together, which was like revolutionary at the time. And I can't even imagine using email without it now. Right. Um, and they also gave just like a faster interface that was using the latest JavaScript and web tech. And so they really came out with a bang and really impressed people. Uh, and over time, they just like have not really innovated from that space. And the email of 2004, it looks a little bit different today, but the fundamentals are still fundamentals are still the same. Yes, that's true. It's very and true. The, the, the biggest thing they've done is, is introduce Google Inbox, uh, you know, uh, five, you know, I guess longer than that, seven, eight years ago, uh, and then killed it a few years after that. Um, and that was really, uh, you know, them designing inbox from if email was made from a mobile first perspective. And I think they got a lot of things right in there. Uh, they brought some of it to Gmail, but most of the fundamentals from that app, like never really made it. And I think a lot of people have been missing it since. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And the, the reason I think they've continued to grow is that like the Google suite is actually continuing to get better. You know, the introduction of docs uh, brought a lot of people into Google workspace, which hmm. is called now. And it happens to be that all these things are bundled together. And as we've seen in the tech industry, like bundling things together is a great way to get adoption across a wide set of products. And so I think Google has like done a good job of building up their suite and getting users to kind of adopt a bunch of features. Even if they came for docs, they end up using Gmail as well. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where I think things are going um, and part of the reason why we, we are actually building on top of Gmail is, is distribution. Um, I think that in order for, in order for us to really like push the protocol level changes we want to make to email and bring us to that world where it is this like decentralized secure protocol, uh, we need to have market share and no one's going to care if we come out with this self-hosted application, if no one knows about us and it doesn't work with their current email. And so our strategy is we want to try and make as big a splash as we can try and gain as much market share, gain as many people using our application, and then use that size to actually drive innovation in the space. Otherwise, we're just going to kind of be crowded out by these larger players. Uh, uh, Wow. Bold bold of you to actually say it so clearly on, and I think there's a whole bunch of 
you're more qualified than I am to talk about it, but I think there's a whole bunch of sense strategically to what you just laid out. And I actually think this spunding moment of GPT is really going to play to your favor. I, I think that this is, this is a moment, sorry to, sorry to interrupt. No. Uh, th this is a moment where uh, I think the foundational apps that we use uh, on a daily basis, things like email and notes and to-do apps are all going to fundamentally change with this new technology. Yeah. And like mobile, I think it has the opportunity to like unseat the existing players. Yeah, yeah. Un 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 unseat and, and existing players with a notable exception at, at this particular moment, existing players don't typically move as fast as startups. The asterisk there, you work there, I work there. I got to take my head off to the boys in Redmond. Holy free holies are they moving yeah. fast on the edge stuff. For, for sure. Oh, you know, yeah. like, wait a minute, you have what all across office? This just happened yesterday. How'd you pull that off? Like, you know, and I mean, investment, pre-planning, a whole bunch of other stuff, smart company, great leadership, like hats off to them. It is for making sure. Google look flat-footed, in my humble opinion. Yes. Gee, yeah. It's you said things just like it did. Yeah. Yeah, no, Microsoft has has moved quicker than than I expected. And I think it's delivering really interesting and innovative stuff. Uh, I wouldn't count Google out just yet. No, uh, no, no, like, no, not at all. Not at all. A lot of expertise here, but uh, yeah, it definitely feels like they are, they're behind at this point. Well, the, one of the things that it does, it temporarily, and, and I suspect there's probably some gnashing of teeth because I know Google has a standing investment of, you know, a decade plus in AI. A lot of the things that make Gmail do the magic it does deserves the label AI, but that's not the, you know, they didn't, they didn't get the public label. So they're probably going, we were doing this already. Right. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't count them out. Very, very, very smart, uh, very long-term thinking company. But you already said it essentially. They have an installed base. And that's a mighty big tail to drag around when you're trying to innovate. You, 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 you tweak a pixel on Gmail and a billion people are going to squeal at you. You can't just try stuff. It's a scale problem too. No, I'd sure. love to know the cost of running that bad boy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cost. And I think also just uh, the, the, the difficulty in getting a billion and a half people to switch to a new paradigm. And yeah. I, I, we have a, a much smaller user base and making fundamental changes to the app can sometimes cause a lot of people to be very upset and tell you how they feel. Mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of have to push through that. That's a lot easier when it is a couple thousand people who are complaining versus a right. couple hundred of million people. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And at the scale of company you've got now, you can sit down and have a conversation, make a decision and go. It doesn't take a committee. Co correct. Yep. <laughs> Which is a, it's a big, big deal. I am in I want to take this in a slightly different direction. Just stay on the AI train for a second. Um, Put Microsoft in the like agility that they're showing aside for a second on some aspects of the most visible AI models kind of inherently require scale and, and investment, right? Training chat GPT was a billion dollars or something like that. Like, I'm not going to do it. You're not going to do it. But 
a day later, a month later, a year later, you get to build on top of it or leverage it, which is kind of amazing and kind of magical. And I, I wonder how the, the ones that are spending a billion to train the models are going to leverage that and, and, and recoup it without someone, you know, based on open source or based on, you know, being smarter and more agile at 11 than, <laughs> than 100,000. It's just going to outmaneuver them like a PT boat around a battleship. What do you think? Yeah, I, I I think likely whatever I will say will be outdated in a month, given how quickly things are yeah. moving. But I will give you where my my mind is now. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think you'll end up seeing multiple uh, layers of providers. So you'll have people like OpenAI or Anthropic or Google who sure. are building their own large language models and offering like a an API that gives you this like amazing technology that understands reasoning and language and all of these really cool things. Then you'll see a, a second layer where you have specific companies who are training uh, those base models for specific use cases. You'll yeah. have one that is really good at being a lawyer, one that is really good at being a doctor, one that maybe is really good at writing emails. Mm -hmm. uh, and then below that, you'll have a third layer, which is end applications that will either be using the, the second layer customized ones or the top layer base models to build functionality. And right now, shortwave is kind of in that third layer. Yeah. We are using OpenAI's APIs to build a handful of features. Uh, and you may see us move into more of the second layer where we are actually offering other email clients a, a like services uh, that kind of allow them to do things that are a lot easier than they could do with the base layers. Nicely put. Nicely put. That, uh, that makes a lot of... Um sort of tech evolutionary sense. And um, it, it, that structure you described is cognizant of the enabling layer of API-driven development that, frankly, we, we didn't have 12, 15 years ago. Like Salesforce just pulled something out of thin air, right? Salesforce trying to pioneer, uh, you know, cloud-based SaaS stuff. Starting just from scratch, or or doing it with with nasty old interop protocols that weren't nearly as easy as APIs, and now that's kind of like that's how the world drives. And and OpenAI is obviously playing to that already. Yeah, well, well put. I like, I like another another area where you've you've seen this is in like cloud computing. Uh, you have a bunch of the the large tech companies like Google and Amazon who offer uh, like raw compute. Sure. Uh, then you have the a layer of companies who offer kind of infrastructure as a service. So you have things like Firebase, where where I used to work, that is kind of like abstracting away a lot of the like low level fundamentals of cloud computing and giving you really simple building blocks for building applications. And then you have the third layer, which is apps who are using Firebase to actually build their applications. Yeah, right, right, right. And then finding the finding the various uh, business models at those layers is is part of the trade shot. One of the things I know Microsoft has gotten complimented on by Ben, I think Ben Thompson and Stratechery, among others, is you know investing in OpenAI was a good investment in, in Azure. No explosive amount of, uh, you know, activity at Azure data centers from the company that they helped like sort of kickstart and, and kick over at that, at that baseline. And you can only have so many winners 
at that level zero of what of the stack you just described, right? There's there's yes. only going to be so many. Yeah, I, I hope there is. There's not one. I hope there are there are multiple. Uh, I think the the AI and how good they can get um, is is unclear and unclear if there is going to be one AI that is 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 just significantly better and unable to catch up to that. So good. Um, but my hope is that there is competition at, at every layer there. I think that's good for, for consumers. It is, it is. And I mean, we could, we could, you know, on this zoom call for many hours, try to unpack and speculate, frankly, on, sure. on where the AI wave is going. Tech side of that aside, it is a fascinating cultural thing to watch the range of responses to the Sputnik moment of Chad GPT, everything from, oh my God, I'm going to miss my job to, hey, this is exciting. Let's go build stuff, right? It, it really spans the spectrum uh, in a, I haven't seen this kind of energy, honestly, since 95, 96, everyone realizing the internet was not a fan, right? No, no AI, not a fan. And it's like, Pieces of this have been part of our life for a long time. You started building an AI-enabled email client buff way before Sputnik showed up. Yep. Okay. At the same time, the, that cultural moment means everything in terms of public focus and recognition. What do you make of the call to, to call halt for six months? Uh, I... I, I don't think there's any stopping this technology. Um, I, I don't know how you'd possibly enforce enforce yeah. a hold like that. Uh, and I think that we we need to get comfortable with figuring out how we can coexist with the this technology, just like any technology advancement before us. Uh, and I think like yes, there's the 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 chance of job replacement, and I'm sure that is going to happen. But there's also lots of opportunity for people to use these tools to make them better at their current job. And to learn new things, one of the things I've found super fascinating about just talking with ChatGPT is how well I'm able to take a new concept that I want to learn and use it as a way to kind of tell me what I can know. Yes. And even, even if you don't know, even if it doesn't always give you accurate information, it can right. help you understand the boundaries of a concept. And then you can go and dive deeper and go to first sources to like mm -hmm. learn the thing you want to learn. Yeah, I, I like I. I've got a I've got a family of a family of teachers ed, teachers and educators, um, and so I keep an eye on that space as well. And and there's a pretty good degree of freak out about AI in the world of education. But as a user with a chat with two Chat GPT tabs open here all the time, like this is so cool having an on demand tutor with a very vast knowledge base and doesn't always get it perfect. But I'm not asking to get it perfect. I'm saying, like, help me, help me get this one thing, and then I'll take it from there, and then I'll come back and ask you again. It's, it's remarkable. It's just yeah. remarkable. I, I had a, um, I was faced with fighting with a, a BigQuery, uh, SQL query. I was like, how am I going to do this? I said, oh, hey, ChatGPT, how would you do blah, blah, blah? And it was like six, eight-step iterative conversation. I'm typing short English sentences. I'm getting back pretty well-designed SQL queries that help me understand how to get there. And I just shared that with some other friends who are CTOs. <laughs> Look at this. Like, this would have taken me four or five hours longer than, than getting some learning help. Didn't use it for production code. That wasn't the goal. The goal was, let me get my head around it. 
so I can actually do a really good job of, you know, using it and taking it from there. It's remarkable. Yeah. It is, it is, it is very impressive. I, I have used it for the same, same purposes, trying to, to build up SQL queries. Uh, and the thing that has me really excited is that it's great to do this all in chat GPT, but what if this can be done in the place where you're writing the SQL query yes. or where you're writing the yes. email? And like, yes. yes, like talking to a chatbot is great, but really bringing this and like productionizing it and putting it in the applications we use is really where I think like the huge productivity gains are going to come. Well, one of the, one of, one, I think one of the cultural impacts, and this is, I'm trying to pivot this back to talk about shortwave more, one of the cultural impacts is likely to be, look, if you, if you couldn't do some form of, let's call it software, anything from making an Excel spreadsheet on it, okay? The growth of the digital world has to be frustrating because like, I know what I want this box in front of me to do, but I don't know how to tell it to do that. And now we're seeing glimmers of, just tell me what you, just tell the box what you want and it'll do what it always should have done. Like figure out how to do it, right? Like using your client. Yeah. There you go. How's that for a pivot? (laughs) No, I I totally agree. Like being able, we, we interface with everyone on a daily basis using natural language and now having the like capability to do this with our devices and have them like understand the intent and not have to be so prescribed in the way we interact with them is, is really going to change how we interact with software. And that's as, as a product person, one of the things that like has me most excited about this new technology is how it is going to change the patterns and the ways in which we actually interact with our software. Uh, I imagine we will be using voice a lot more. We will be writing in English way more than we do in, in our current applications. And I think if you look at you know, different companies out there, like Notion, I think does a great job of like hmm. building an interface that is novel and new and allows you to interface with the AI in a way that like doesn't require you to understand exactly how the AI is built or how to best communicate with it. Right, right, right. Donnie, you might've caught the news a day or two ago, MailChimp announced that that they've now gotten this, an AI assistant to help write emails built right in the platform. And MailChimp owned by Intuit, so small to medium business, client base. Good on them, right? Because guy putting emails out in a small to medium-sized business has a zillion other things to do. If he can get out the door faster and grammatically more correct, cool. Is he going to write as well as if he sat down and wrote it? That's a different question. Yeah, I I, I think that uh, what you'll end up seeing is I would expect pretty much every every provider in the email space to add some sort of like generative AI. Uh, And it's it's just a matter of time. And I think it'll happen pretty quickly given how like revolutionary the technology is. But I think you, you touch on an interesting thing, which is like, how well will it do it? Uh, we, we ourselves have been playing around with building, uh, you know, the ability to generate replies to drafts. And generally what we found is it will generate a reply that sounds like English and is well-structured, but it doesn't necessarily capture the intent uh, or answer the question in the way that you would want it to be answered. Uh, and there are different methods for prompting it to say the thing that you want to say. But really what you want is you want it to have an understanding of past emails you've sent and information in your knowledge base, and then put that in your response. So if someone says, hey, do you have the link for the mocks for this particular feature? And you can say, yeah, the Figma link is, and then have it autocomplete with a link to your actual data. And this is the part 
where I think like we're really going to see the huge gains in productivity in, and being able to like actually generate replies that understand your data. Understand, yeah, and your, your data even more than devices. Understand and can harness your data and take the workload out of the stupid workload doing that yep. for you. I mean, you guys handle it already. Like I've always thought the reverse, the reversed email thread was possibly one of the dumbest things we've ever done in civilization. Like I'm supposed to read this from the bottom up and understand what else going on now, right? Right. Can you like pull the pieces out of there and go, yeah, he needs to know about this and the link is such and such and the, you know, the, so-and-so does Figma permissions or whatever, right? Get all of that contextual stuff so I can, I can focus on actually my reply I have to write. We're looking at the, we're looking at this early moment, I think, of the you know, visible AI revolution. Uh, it's sort of the surface and cosmetic stuff. And I think when, what you've been chasing for a number of years, it's clear from your, from your comments, are, are sort of more fundamental, structural. What do we actually do when we're getting work done with email? more than just writing a couple paragraphs. Yes, for, for sure. I think we've, we've spent a lot of time trying to understand like, why are the reasons people are opening their, their email and what are they really trying to, to get done? And how can, we, how can we guide them on like a happy path? Even if everyone comes from their own workflow, how can we guide them on a workflow that will like allow them to get in and out of their inbox and understand the priority of the things in their inbox? Gotcha. Gotcha. So... Parting question, because with, with the, the job you guys are tackling, I do not want to chew up a ton of your time. Um, where would you like to see Shortwave as a company, as a product in, say, a year? Uh, I think in, in a year, we're going to be making, we're going to continue making a larger investment in the AI side of things. So I would like to have an email application where you can essentially talk to your inbox uh, and ask it questions in a way that you can talk to JotGPT. Uh, and you can say, you can use it to conversationally to draft emails. You can use it to say, hey, what is my frequent flyer mile on Delta? And it'll pull that information from your email archive and just be able to have all your information easily accessible from a natural language interface. So I think what you'll see is you'll see a larger doubling down on AI features mm -hmm. and making the most out of this like crazy moment that's happening. <laughs> crazy moment indeed is that... Uh... Is the competitive demand for expertise with the set of technologies involved getting going going bananas as well? I, I think one of the the cool things about this wave of AI is that people who are not don't have an AI background, like I have no AI or ML background, uh, yeah. are able to kind of use this new technology because it's all just English. Yeah. Like you yeah. just interface with it by talking to it, and if you can express yourself clearly and understand how the pieces can play together. Yeah. Uh, actually build these really complicated AI systems without having any understanding of neural nets or the training aspect of it. It's the uh, sort so, of layer one, two, three that you were talking about earlier, right? You become a consumer of user of without having to build the of. <laughs> yes, exactly. And thankfully our, our team is a, a team that has a lot of experience building distributed systems and uh, we are, we've been able to pick up a lot of the new technologies fairly quickly and figure out how we can best do, uh, like build these really like mind blowing experiences. Nice. 
Nice. Well, I have to say shortwave is already pretty mind-blowing experience. So here's the wrapper. If hopefully a bunch of people listen to this go, oh, I got to try this client. Where do we send them? Yeah. So you can go sign up at shortwave.com, uh, like shortwave radio. It's like shortwave radio. I love that reference, by the way. I mean, I thought of it when I first saw it, but some of us are old enough to have listened to a shortwave once upon a time. Not yeah. you. If you if you get to to inbox zero in in shortwave, you'll you'll get a little allusion to uh, to that. So I'll leave that as a teaser. Yeah, a teaser for someone else. Uh, inbox zero and I uh, haven't seen each other in a long time, but I'll keep trying. Jacob, what a delight to speak with you. Thanks so much for making the time. Thank you for having me on. It was a great conversation. All right, my guest has been Jacob Winger, co-founder at Shortwave. Go check him out. It's amazing. Thanks, Jacob. We're out. See you.